you uh, have already heard me allude uh, in introducing Alex, but also over the past few weeks, uh, you've heard me repeat myself to remind you that the Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. And it's quite clear that that's the case. The first four commandments um, help us to deal with God, uh, if you please. And then commandments five to ten uh, give us instruction in dealing with God's image bearers. And we've been making the simple point, yet profound point, that even though the backside of the ten uh, give us instruction in, in to, as to how to deal with his image bearers, they all at the end of the day are about God and his holiness and his character. And we'll see that uh, today as well. We've also been making the point that even within the tablets, uh, if you please, there are also connections. Today's fourth word, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 is intimately tied, as you may already be seeing and thinking, is intimately tied to the first three words as well, the first three commandments as well. To violate the Sabbath commandment is, work it backwards now, is to take the name of the Lord in vain. It is to have an idol. If you cannot slow down, if you cannot cease, then you've got an idolatry problem. Violating the second commandment. And as we've said from the get-go, you violate any of the commandments and you automatically violate the first one, having no other gods before him. So if you're so busy, if I'm so busy that we can't slow down, we've got a God in our lives that's literally controlling us, that's dictating how we deal with the 168 hours we're given. Each and every one of us are given each week. And so there's this intimate, organic nature to the Ten Commandments. And as we've said, violating one of them is violating ten of them in some form, particularly the top four, and the fourth especially so, uh, as I hint a little bit in terms of where we're going to be going. The fourth commandment, however, is a little bit tricky. It's, it's the trickiest of the ten. Uh, that might be part of the reason why I like it as much as I do. You know, you know me, I like to do difficult things. Couldn't wait to get to four. Four is tricky. Why? It's the only one of the ten that's not repeated in the New Testament. Hmm. What do you suppose that means? We'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. And even more so tricky is that Paul seems to actually downplay the significance of the Sabbath. You tell me what you hear when I read for you Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is what Paul says. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Hmm. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You might want to reference also Romans 14, 5, where he says something similar. In other words, what Paul is saying, he's addressing this issue in Colossae in that there are these Judaizers, apparently, who are saying, you must do this, this, and this in order to be a true Christian. And Paul's saying, nah, that's a compromise of the gospel. That's a false god. And in, in that collection, 
he includes the Sabbath. It's fascinating. Now, there are several ways to go about this. I'm not going to, I don't have the time to do that, but at least putting it up on the table in front of us, it creates what I'm trying to describe to you, a little bit of a tricky situation. Not repeated in the New Testament, and Paul seems to say, well, if you're being told by somebody that you must observe the Sabbath, it sounds that's how I read it. It sounds like Paul's going to raise the legalism flag, which immediately begs questions. Do you have to be here today? Can you be here Monday? How about Friday? Or does it have to be Sunday? Or, or Saturday, because Saturday is the Sabbath, right? I mean, we know that. You go to Borough Park next week, Saturday, everything's shut down. So do we obey the Sabbath or don't we? Or are we going to just cleverly say that, no, we don't obey the Sabbath. That's old covenant. We now obey the Lord's day. Because with the resurrection of Jesus, the early Christians moved the Saturday to the Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And you see that, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. They were gathered together on the Lord's day. All throughout Acts, they were gathered together on the Lord's day. But the tricky part about Acts is that they're also gathered together on the Sabbaths. And Paul's preaching on the Sabbaths. Doesn't seem to have any problem with it at all. But then also meets on the Lord's day because it's the day that the Christians, early Christians, commemorated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm being intentionally provocative, scrambling some of your brainwaves this morning. I'm going to unpack some, some of that uh, as we unfold this, because you'll answer those questions once you see how this fits into the broader framework of where I'm going and what we're talking about here. Remember, I wear this out, Genesis, Revelation, and we're asking ourselves, where are we? Where are we in Exodus chapter 20? Okay. Now, I, I think most of you are aware of what I do with that. I'm going to leave it there, see how you handle this going forward. So what do we do? Should we keep the Sabbath? If so, why? If not, what then is the Christian alternative? We'll follow the same pattern that we have in the first three commandments as well. We'll ask two questions. What is forbidden and what is required? I'm trying to maintain that rhythm for you so that you can begin to ask these questions of these commandments as you approach them yourselves and, and handle that. Now, here's the, here's the cliff notes if you want them. This does not give you permission to tune me out now in 37 seconds, although some of you will, and I have no idea why you'd want to do that. I'm a nice guy. What is forbidden? Work. What is required? Worship. Want to come up, sing a hymn, we'll go home. I'm kidding. Please don't come up. What does is, what is this commandment forbid? Work. What does it require? Worship. Okay? Now, hold on to that because we need to unpack it. And that we will do. So let's take up the first question. What does the fourth commandment forbid? I don't know what to make of this. It's the longest commandment in the ten. Not by a whole lot, but it's the longest. And, you know, people go on and on and on about why it's the longest and why the explanation and why all this. 
but it's some phenomenal stuff that's just tied to the character of God with regard to this fourth commandment, and that should not be lost on us. It's the longest of the 10, and it seems to me that with a simple reading of it, it yields a fairly clear understanding of what it meant, at least in the original context, right? I mean, just read it with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That does not need to be a lot over-explained. Six days you shall labor. Sunday to Friday, you work. Do all of your work. On the seventh day, Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's pretty simple. Work six days, shut it down the seventh day. That seems to be a fairly straightforward reading in its original context. Now he gives us a little bit more information. Read on with me in verse 10. On it, you shall, do, shall not do any work. So, so, so they, see, that's what's forbidden. This is straight reading. You shall not work on the Sabbath. Okay, you shall not do any work, but notice now, and this, this is one of the things I love about this, it just it rips right across our rugged individualism, because keeping the Sabbath or not impacts the community, not just the individual, because your ceasing from work might force somebody else to work, and now they're violating the Sabbath. So you ought to shut it down, in the original context, you ought to shut it down in a way that doesn't require somebody else to work. Because what the Sabbath commandment does is that it levels the playing field. Everybody, listen, listen. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, the slaves are not supposed to work. Or your female servant. Your animals aren't supposed to work. Or the sojourner who's within your gates. The immigrant. Don't put him to work just because he's a sojourner. On the Sabbath, shut it down. Let the cows go out to pasture. Give the slaves the day off. It doesn't give you the privileged the opportunity to sit back on the day, enjoy the ball game while your workers are busting their butts so that you can continue to live off the fat of the land. Whew, can you imagine what this did? Whew. It literally means, Sabbath literally means to cease. To cease work. And it has personal aspects, it has corporate aspects, it has creational aspects. I'm not going to say that the Sabbath command levels the ground so that livestock are equal with slaves who are equal to owners. I'm not doing that, obviously. But don't lose the fact that it's creational as well. God wants his creation to rest. And you know the reinforcement that that's going to get because it's grounded in the character of God and it's modeled by God. Verse 11, for, for, this is the for, this is the reason, that's the so that, this is the because, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so that's why I say it's also creational, because God created in six days and then said, I'm resting. 
There's a massive mystery there, obviously. I don't think I need to go into that because if God ever like really rested and stopped working, it'd all be over. God has to continue to work in order to keep my body together. If God stops working, every molecule in my body, I don't think you want to see what it looks like splattered on this wall. And you too, right? So you've got this interesting paradox where God rests, but he rests in a way that doesn't stop him from working, but only God can do that. And he did that as a model for us. If God paused, if God ceased working, and now he's going to bring that forward and say, if I'm doing it, so should you. And then the yabats just stop flying. And this is, I think, this is the single greatest challenge of the fourth commandment, the yabats. Yeah, but, but who's going to feed the cows? Uh, I got bills to pay. Um, I have to work on this day because it's required of me. Otherwise, I don't have a job. There are exceptions. We see not only within Scripture itself, and this is going to be clear in Jesus' day, when Jesus actually permits certain work on the Sabbath, which just causes the Pharisees to lose their minds. But then Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, says, you tell me, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? Zing. So what Jesus does in fulfilling the Old Testament law and prophets says that, yes, you are to cease work, but watch this now. Obeying the fourth commandment frees you to do acts of mercy, not considered to be work and a violation of the fourth commandment. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. It is to cease work, personal, corporate, and creational. Hear me now. And in so doing, it is a call to trust God's provision. I'll never, I don't, I, don't, I can't recall who the preacher was. This is many, many years ago. I, I remember him, him graphically describing the challenge that this would have been for an agrarian Jew to obey the fourth commandment when his wheat crops, just about ready to be brought in, is watching on the Sabbath this horrific storm come in over the plain that might possibly destroy his crop. Anxiety? Worry? Stress? Yabats. Yabat. It is to trust God's provision. How? By accepting our limits. Wow. Something I do poorly. This, perhaps more than anything else in my life, is my ongoing mantra. You must not only accept, but take joy in your limits. I love to work. I always have. But a love for work doesn't translate into workaholism. That's idolatry. That's blasphemy. That's taking on the role of God. The interesting thing is that the backside of that is also guilty of the same thing, laziness. 
If you're lazy, and it sounds paradoxical, if you're lazy and refuse to work, you're actually violating the Sabbath. You've got another form of idolatry. And you're requiring, due to your laziness, somebody else to do what you should be doing. It is to trust God's provision by accepting our limits, rejecting our self-sufficiency. Oh, man. Fourth commandment's a doozy to, to, to keep on Staten Island. In America. To, to declare you've got limits. You can do anything if you put your mind to it is one of the biggest lies. Government workers, professional sports people, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. I, I'm here to tell you I've got 10, 11, and 12-year-olds who are going to be in this building in a month who are gulping this stuff down, and I don't have the heart because mom and dad doesn't have the heart to tell them that, no, you're not going to be the next Stephen Curry. He's a basketball player, by the way, for those of you, one of the finest outside shooters the game has ever seen. No, my wife and I have this conversation all the time. My wife has asked me for years and years and years, when do you know you might have the goods? You know, Derek Jeter was asked that question one time. Did I just say Derek Jeter? Derek Jeter said he knew when he was five. Is that right? Five. Five, five, five or seven. You get the point. You get the point. Just finished my seventh year as the principal, heading into the eighth, and I've watched countless kids play basketball up here. They all live the dream. And I go, mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Accepting your limits. Rejecting self-sufficiency. This is all part of what the fourth commandment forbids. What does it require? What does the fourth commandment require? If it's a call to cease work, it's a call to cease work, not, not, just, not just to live off the fat of the land, not just to sit in an air-conditioned den watching your 108-inch plasma thing on the wall. It's to cease work so that you might worship. Let's be clear about this because, because we all know what it means to be a weekend warrior. You, you work hard five days and then you go like crazy over the weekend to make up for all you couldn't get done Monday to Friday because you're working 12, 13, 14 hours a day. Some of it, unfortunately, is necessitated by the nature of your work. How did we get there? It's to cease work so that you can be with God and his people. Full stop. Full stop. Which is why the pandemic is wreaking havoc in churches. There's more than a little bit of me that's very grateful for this technology that is staring me in the face. I don't like cameras. I've had really bad experiences with them. This is not easy for me. And yet I know that through this technology, there are people on the other side of this technology who may 
be being encouraged by hearing the word and seeing the song sung and being part of this. All things to all people. But the, the dark side to that is that there may also be people on the other side of this And what God is doing is sifting. I'm fully believing this. To find out whether or not the body of Christ will be the body of Christ. And so, gently speaking, and this will be the, one of the rare times I look directly into this camera. Gently speaking, if I am speaking to you and you are listening and participating to some degree in this session and you're doing so only because it's comfortable, let me gently, gently prod you to get dressed and to be physically present with your brothers and sisters. We are, we are at a tipping point. We are at a tipping point where our consumerism DNA is going to rule us so that we can sit at home, not have to worry about the pain in the neck people that go to that church. And I can watch Ronsley in the morning and Smith in the afternoon and Jones in the evening. And you know what? If I've got something better to do on Sunday, I can watch them all on Monday night after I get back. No, I can't watch Monday night because that's football. Church is hard. And it's meant to be hard. You don't get to choose. God has made you part of a family. You can't kick that warped uncle out of the house just because he's off the wall. You've got to find a way to deal with him. That's part of what makes you more like Christ. Nobody in this room has matured in the faith because they found the easy road. Every single person in this room, I'm going to go that far out, every single person in this room, insofar as they're in Christ, will testify to the fact that they, they became more intimately involved with God, their Father, when things got hard. cease to work in order to worship, to model God's pattern built into his creation. It's not merely self-care. It's not merely personal rest. It's not merely better time management. Though it probably will include those things, you can do those things without God. I read a zinger of an article yesterday on that very point. He caught me. The, the pastor who wrote it caught me. I read the first couple of paragraphs, and I thought, yeah, I need to do that, I need to do that, I need to do that. And then the zinger, you can do all that without God. And I went, oh, man, but how perfectly timed for this. So that after I get zung, I can spare you the zinging, if you please. 
There's nothing wrong with self-care. There's nothing wrong with personal rest. There's nothing wrong with better time management. But don't think that just because you're doing that, you're exercising Sabbath. Not if it excludes God and his people. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember to keep it holy. It already is holy. God declared it to be holy. So you remember to keep it holy. How? By setting it apart. You've all heard that. You've been in churches long enough. It's some holiness. Holy. Set apart. That's the simple definition of the word. So you set apart time. You cease the frantic nature of life so that you can be with God and his people. Remembering, keeping it holy, but the Sabbath, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbathing to the Lord your God. Using it as a verb. Ceasing for the Lord your God. It is to do, in the words of one writer, it is to do mercy. It is to enjoy the presence of the people of God. To bask, I love this line, to bask in the promise of the joys of the world to come. The Sabbath is heaven in miniature. Write that down, please. The Sabbath is heaven in miniature. I get that directly from a profound influence in my life, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, in his phenomenal work called The Sabbath. This is what Heschel writes. I'm going to read it slowly because it is it is powerful. Judaism tries to foster the vision of a life as a pilgrimage to the seventh day. The longing for the Sabbath all days of the week, which is a form of longing for the eternal Sabbath all the days of our lives. In other words, what Heschel is saying is that all of Judaism lives with the lens of the Sabbath on a weekly basis, but also they know that they look along their Sabbath to the ultimate Sabbath and the return of Messiah. The tragedy is that they don't see the Messiah. You and I do. Now, put it together with me because I'm coming up to the conclusion here. Now you begin to realize that you currently are living in the Sabbath. Where do you get that, Pastor Mark? Really glad you asked. I'm going to give you two references. I'm not going to take the time to go into them. But if you want to dig out a little bit, do this with me, if you would. Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13 in Ezekiel 20, okay? Two classic Old Testament passages that show God's passion for the Sabbath. Especially the Ezekiel 20 passage where God three times in Ezekiel 20, three times ties together the glorifying of his name. That's why I love it, right? You with me now? This is the third commandment, the glorifying of his name with the keeping of the Sabbath. Exodus 20, okay? Sorry, I can't take the time to do that. 
how do we finish? We finish with the simple question, okay, so what about new covenant believers? You, you've given us a lot. We see how this sits in its original context. We've even heard you kind of kind of go over the edge a little bit and give us indicators in terms of what it will mean for new covenant believers. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus declares, well-known passage, you've heard me say it, that he's fulfilled the law and the prophets. He has fulfilled them. In, do the syllogism. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and the prophets. I am in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. That's how we stand before God. That's one of the beauties about being in Christ. What Christ has done is ours. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. I am in Jesus, therefore I am viewed by God as having fulfilled the law and the prophets, which means I'm not keeping the Ten Commandments as a way of earning favor with God. Are you resting yet? Are you resting when I say to you, you do not have to work to earn the favor of God? Are you resting? Take a deep breath and rest, because that's part of where this commandment goes. In Christ, you can rest because the work has been done. what time, what the assembly looks like, what goes on during that assembly, though the rest of the, though much of the New Testament helps us fill in some of those blanks. Yes, for new covenant believers, the day of gathering has moved from Saturday to Sunday. There's no denying that. The early evangelists continued to go to the synagogues on the Sabbath. Why? Because that's where the Jews were. And that's where the evangelists wanted to proclaim Christ. All things to all men. But you begin to read as you track, particularly through the book of Acts and then on into the letters, you begin to realize that now the Christians, in order to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus, which happened on the first day of the week, Sunday. So now this is the reason why we don't meet on Saturdays. And why strict Sabbatarians, I would argue, are in the wrong. Just a really quick sidebar. Did you ever ask yourself the question, why are there seven days in a week? You ever ask yourself why, why we have the calendar that we do? Like, why do we order our lives around Sunday to Saturday? It's food for thought. And why, why is it that for all of your life, you've gone to church on Sunday? Why? Yes, Sabbath to Lord's Day, but I think one of the things that Paul wants to do is he wants to, he wants to put a hedge around it. He wants to avoid legalism so that if I, we've got to be careful here, <laughs> got to be careful here because this is new to a Baptist church. I'm well aware of that. And Baptists, you know, they're this wide in the continuum from rock-ribbed fundamentalists to whatever 
left you want to go here, where we Baptists are everywhere in between. So I've got to be really careful here. But I would argue, I don't have the right to stand here and tell you that you must assemble on a Sunday. And that not to be in church on Sunday is a violation of the word of God. I wouldn't do that. You may disagree with me. And there's an argument that could be made for that. But I think at the end of the day, the assembling is what's most important, not the when. But the backside of that coin in avoiding legalism, we also want to avoid some of what's going on in the churches nowadays where everybody just does what is right in their own eyes. You know, and now we have virtual church. People are selling their buildings because everybody's online now. Kind of thing. I would argue, perhaps a little bit more strongly, that that ain't church. Not if I'm reading my New Testament right. And I've heard the arguments. Vociferously, I've heard the arguments. Yeah, but it's better than nothing. It's a point to be made. Yeah, but people are coming to Christ because they're scared stiff to come into a building like this, but they're going to do this because it's safe for them. Are you going to shut that off, Pastor Mark? No, I'm not, because I do want to be all things to all people. But I also want to get people who are watching and listening to me online and thinking that they can do that and not have to do the hard work of assembling with people that they may or may not like. They need to understand that on their walk with the Lord, those are baby steps. And we need to mature, as the writer of Hebrews says, go on to maturity. And one of the ways you go on to maturity is by sticking your body in a room with other bodies and probing, probing one another on to love and to good works. Avoiding legalism, avoiding, the big word is antinomianism to live like there's no law whatsoever, no guidelines whatsoever. I'm at peace in the woods with God. I don't need, I love Jesus, I hate the church. Said no mature believer ever. As countless saints have said over the years, you can't call God your father if you're unwilling to call the church your mother. I'll give you one passage as I'm finishing here. I'll give you one passage of many that I could, but you want some biblical justification for it. Here, here it is. This is the, probably the, the go-to passage in a time like this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful let us consider how to stir up one another to love and the good works, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That's why I'm not going off like a raving madman. I'm pleading. I'm encouraging. I'm pointing this out to you. But encouraging one another, now watch how this ends in verse 25 of Hebrews 10. And all the more as you see the day, and I'm so glad it's a capital D, as you see the day drawing near. 
You are living in the Sabbath day already. But there's a not yet aspect to it as well, because as we're about to see in closing, the writer of Hebrews is also going to tell us that there is a Sabbath that is yet to come. It's the already and the not yet. We're in it because we're in Christ, but it's not the full day yet because he's not done. So to put the scare into you, part of the danger in not assembling is that the day may come and you'll be shut out. We're to gather together to encourage one another. So we need to, wink, wink, work to make sure our lives are ordered before God in a way that allows us with regularity to meet with the people of God. Now, I know there are exceptions. I know there are exceptions. There are exceptions in this room in this, in this moment for whom uh, infirmities and physical ailments don't allow them to do this. I, I get it. There are those with severe immunocompromised systems and need to be on the other end of this camera. I get it. Not who I'm talking to. The elderly that are bedbound. I wouldn't give this camera up as much as I don't like it. I wouldn't give this camera up for anything, thinking that somewhere, somewhere in the world, God might surprise me someday, there is a person bedbound that can't get any word any other way than this. All day long, I will take that. Yes, the principle still stands, but for new covenant believers, there's considerably more. Remember the words of Colossians again. There are, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What, what's the substance? Jesus answered the question, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Rest. Now, roll it back. Sit in a house church in the first century. You're Jewish, or you've got a lot of Jewish folks all around you. You hear the word rest coming out of a Jewish man's mouth. Where's your mind going? Jesus, right? The side of the cross, not yet. He hears, he says, rest. Where do you go? Where do you go? You're going right here to Exodus, and you're giving elbows to the people that are sitting next to you in those house churches. Like, remember when we were in yeshiva, and we learned all about the Sabbath? You don't suppose that, that, that this is... Hearing the word rest would have opened a much larger categories for them. I would really love to take the time. I'm not going to, but please don't go to sleep tonight before you read Hebrews 3 and 4, because Hebrews 3 and 4 is the final piece in the puzzle of putting our Bibles together. Hebrews 3 and 4 teaches us that the Sabbath has come, eternal rest has entered into our existence because of our sympathetic high priest, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has entered into an eternal rest. There's no more work for him to do. Now do the syllogism all over again. 
If he has done that and I am in Christ, I therefore also can rest and no longer have to work. You want to talk about a retirement plan. Already in effect for those who are in Christ, not yet fully realized. Because as the writer says, there remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is an evangelistic sermon. Anybody in the room, not in Christ, anybody out here in internet land, not in Christ, there's an invitation to you today. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you busy to the point your eyeballs are ready to pop out of your head? Come to Jesus Christ. He'll give you rest. Because your hyperactivity is a reflection of a deeper condition of your soul. Let's be really clear about that. And let's as a church not fall for this idea that the busy you are, the more holy you are. I get really nervous around hyperactive people because the counselor in me immediately wants to know what's going on in the inside of you that's making you work so fast and so hard that you don't want to slow down enough to do business with God. I'm living that right now. I, I can't answer that question for you. Is the nature of my struggle, my life sideways right now. I can't slow down long enough to sit with God and ask him what in the world's going on in my inner being. What about you? What about you? Come to Christ. He's secured your rest. He's, he's worked so that you don't have to. Come to him. Are you thirsty? He's got drink. Are you hungry? He's got food. Are you heavy laden? Give it to him. He'll give you the burden and it's light. These are in between times. Church, I'm calling you to rest today. I'm calling you to rest in Sabbath realities. Let's stop chasing shadows and living the substance. In light of the final Sabbath, I'm going to give you four sentences and I'm done. Are you ready? In light of the final coming Sabbath that remains for us, I want you to make sure you see that banner hanging over you. In light of the final coming Sabbath, each day is to be considered holy to the Lord. Number one, each day is to be considered holy to the Lord, not just Sunday. So that Monday, you know, you can be the guy cracking the jokes on the job site. In light of the substance that is coming yet, each day is to be considered holy to the Lord. So that when you wake up in the morning, you pivot in your bed, and you put your feet on the floor, holiness. You're barefoot for a reason. Two, each day is to be marked by rest from works, quotation marks, attempts to earn God's favor. Each day is to be marked by rest from attempts to earn God's favor. Three, in light of the final Sabbath, each day, we allow God to work his will into us. 
in light of the final Sabbath, each day we allow, which means you're going to have to slow down just long enough to allow God to work his will in our lives. Four. In light of the final Sabbath, each day we are to trust God. Watch this now. Remembering. What did I say the first word was? Remember. Each day in light of the final Sabbath is a day we trust God, remembering his work on our behalf. So tomorrow morning, when you're going 18 ways from the middle, whisper that prayer to yourself. Lord, in light of the final Sabbath, please remind me that all of the work necessary for my life has been done. Help me to live in it so that I don't chase shadows and I live in the substance of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks, Father, for this incredible passage. Incredible. And I thank you for the patience of these, pe of these people. It's such a dear passage to me, and I'm, I'm grateful for their patience with me, their willingness to hear me out. I, I pray, Father, that insofar as the truth has been spoken, you would give it root. You would give it root. Shoo away the birds of the air right now. Put weed whacker on any place where the weeds of anxiety might grow up this week and choke out this word right now, God, please, in the power of the Spirit of God. Liberate us that we might be free people who can discern a shadow from the substance and say, nah, I want Jesus. We need your help, Father. Oh boy, do we need your help. And it brings us great comfort. <laughs> Indeed, it brings us rest to know that this is a prayer that you delight to answer. We love you, Lord. We love you. Help us to love you and one another all the more as we gather together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.